Two Dead Girls and Jubilee contains material that may be upsetting to some audiences, including sudden loud noises, adult language, and depictions of murder and suicide. For more information, please find us on Instagram at Two Dead Girls Pod. That's the number two Dead Girls Pod. Wait, talk to me. Were you trying to end it when you swerved at Ronnie's car? No, I was going to do it here. I swerved because I saw a kitten. What? Sometimes I think that was the only good thing happened that year. I could have missed seeing them easy in the rain, and they were out in the middle of the street. Four little kittens. (laughs) But I saw them. Swerved. Just in the nick of time. They were out in the middle of the street. Four little kittens. (laughs) But I saw them. Swerved. Just in the nick of time. Four little kittens. (laughs) But I saw them. Swerved. Just in the nick of time. Story, a deadly storm, a missing girl, and in Jubilee, Indiana, a homicide investigation. Annabelle was this beautiful, innocent little girl. Well, beautiful is a stretch. Hang, hang on, are you recording this? We're learning a second girl, Jessica Kaplan, has been found dead. There's no wiggle room for gut instincts. Anyway, this wasn't anything concrete, just a confluence of coincidence. We ran into Oscar today. He said he spoke to Pa just before Pa died. I wanted her to hear it wasn't coerced. What was it? When I say you're the one person she can trust, that if she wants to finish this, she just might have to. This is Two Dead Girls in Jubilee. Chapter 11. Water Under the Bridge. Liam, it's me. Myra, what's wrong? It's, it's the middle of the night. I think I know where Annie was murdered. Exactly where. Uh, okay. Uh, are you coming back? Coming back? From Chicago. No, I'm, I'm at Ma's. Um, I'll, I'll pick you up at nine. We'll, we'll go first thing. I'm and... going now. It's the middle of the night. I know. You said that. Mesa's school in the morning. I, I can't If you don't want to go, I'm going without you. You sound like you're in a tunnel. I'm in the basement, looking for boots. Just bring Maisie here. She can sleep the rest of the night in Pa's bed. Ma will keep an eye on her. Liam? Okay. Hey, one more thing. Yeah? Can you bring that maglite? Yeah. I'll be there soon. Nominally, Ma's basement is a laundry room, but practically, it's the last stop for things that aren't exactly needed and can't quite be thrown away. A portrait of a forgotten relative, a box of tax records, a vintage sled. 
I have a theory that gravity tugs a little harder on this stuff the world forgot. Paper clips and nickels end up under couch cushions, and rubber wading boots end up in basements. That's just physics. In a cabinet over the washing machine, I find yellowing rolls of wrapping paper. When I was a kid, gifts from Ma and Pa came encased in funny pages, but Santa sprang for the real stuff. I dig to the bottom of a pile of old coats and search the crevices behind the appliances. Nothing doing in the waterproof footwear department, but I do have a bit of a laugh at the discovery of some faded gray sweats. The same ones that drew Ma's ire when I tried to wear them to a certain unhappy bingo night. Myra? Ma, hey. Where'd you find those sweats? They were stuck behind the washer. I don't think they'll fit. No, I don't think so either. Liam arrives with a pajamaed and unhappy daughter in tow to find Ma and me sitting together in the living room. She's in her bathrobe, and I'm in a coat and a pair of wading boots. She's sulking because I've refused to tell her where we're going, or why. Only that it's important, and it cannot wait until morning. On the coffee table between us are two thermoses of hot chocolate, and a vase containing a single sunflower. Hey. Hey. Hi, Maisie. I laid out some sheets for you. End of the hall? So, she wanted to go too? Yeah. Shall we? Yeah. You'll destroy everything if you keep this up. What? What did you say? I bit my tongue. Did it for months while your father engaged in this silliness. Did it while you two followed suit, chasing the jubilee child killer. But I can't any longer. It's gone too far. How, how long have you known? You're living under my roof. I've known the whole time. Please, questions are one thing, but sneaking around in the dead of night- He's still here, Ma. Whoever killed Annie and Jesse and Pa is still here. It, what? I'm sorry. I, I didn't want to tell you like that. The hay baler. It wasn't an accident. How do you- He left behind his entire investigation on secret cassette tapes. We figured out where Annie was kidnapped. And I have this feeling that, that it's the missing piece. The key to finally unlocking what happened to Annie and Jesse. Myra, I'm begging you. If what you say about Ed is true, then every step you take is putting you in danger. Lock the doors. Keep the windows shut and keep a hold of the Ruger. You're going to leave me alone? Sheriff, you're going to leave your daughter alone? Look, out there in the hickories. Denson McDougal's squad car. He's watching the house. Has been all week. Keep a hold of the Ruger. 
This will all be over soon. You mind telling me why we're driving three miles an hour? I'm looking for something. Did you bring the mag light? Yeah, here. So, what's the story with that sunflower? You noticed that? Yeah. I didn't go looking for her. I stopped at the Tenderloin Grill it's because fine. you told me the food was good and I Myra. noticed the sign and I just... It's fine. I'm not mad. I should have known it would happen. I'm sorry for not trusting you. Why haven't you talked to her? You know, for a long time, I was afraid of what it would do to me if she said she didn't want to come back. I thought if I forced her to spell out why she left, sure, the mystery would be gone, but its place would be, what, heartbreak? Sounds like Pa explaining why he didn't call. Only I wish he had called. Maybe Nikki wishes you would call. Is that what she said? Well, no. But you spent years tracking her down, and then you just let her be? I figured she could have made herself easier to find if she wanted to. She just didn't want to. I thought part of being a good detective is knowing when to let someone get away. Stop. Stop what? The car. Stop the car. This is it. We're here. Here is an unremarkable stretch of County 19. A bit of asphalt slung across a swampy ditch. The road is curbed, unusual in Podunk America, and cut into that curb is a rusty iron storm drain. There's a ledge beneath the grate, designed to catch debris before the rainwater tumbles into the dark. Okay. I'm lost. July 19th, 1997. Annie and I walk this route to get milk at the Jenkins Pharmacy. We stop on the way because Annie hears kittens mewing in a storm drain. They're stuck on the ledge. Right there, see it? We try to rescue them, but we can't reach. A few hours later, with the storm raging, Oscar swerves at Ronnie to avoid kittens in the road. Right here? Right here. So, it requires somebody who could either reach that shelf or lift the grate. Puts an unknown person on Annie's route. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, I guess. Are you 100% sure these kittens couldn't have climbed out on their own? Myra? Shh. It's a creek. There's running water. Where are you going? It cuts underneath the road. I'm coming down there. 
Brambles hang over the jet-black shadows of the opening, clinging to rusty iron bars. It's an ordinary culvert pipe. I guess there are plenty of lowland spots like this, dotted in the no-man's land between Indiana farmsteads, where a half hour of rain could turn a puddle into a raging mini Wabash. It looks, to be perfectly honest, like a place someone could get murdered. And who knows, maybe worse. Oh, it smells. Get you a dollar, it ends up in the quarry. Bars are rusted out. You're going in there? Yeah. Graffiti. Detritus. Muck at the edges of the water. Somewhere in the part of my body that still cares about such things, I understand the clock is ticking. That sooner or later the smell of this place is going to make me vomit. The maglite beam follows deep, moss-lined fissures in the cement. Mangled rebar pokes out from behind the eroded surface like rusty fingers of a skeleton buried alive. And clutched in its grasp, illuminated by a sliver of moonlight, I see a ladder. Careful. The thing looks 50 years old. What do you see? The underside of the storm grate. And the ledge. Can you reach it? Yeah. Maybe she comes down here to get the kittens, runs into somebody waiting out the rain. I think you better see this. From the top of the ladder, I swing the maglite towards Liam. He's crouched opposite, inspecting one of the mossy crevices. There's something lodged inside. Children's tennis shoes. He produces a pen from his pocket. With an ease that looks more Baltimore detective than Jubilee Sheriff, he uses the pen to lift the sneakers. Underneath is a square of fabric. The top is battered gray-brown, unrecognizable, but the bottom, less exposed to the elements, bears a distinctive pattern. I should go get a bag from the car. Ten thousand tracks. The, the other charge. With the polka dot. Time. Looking for polka dot. Time. Is missing polka dot. He's already dead, and she was throwing I got you. Are you alright? I think so. I've fallen about half the length of the ladder. I'm spun backwards, with some of my weight still balanced precariously on the slimy rungs, and the rest on Liam's shoulder. At the precise height of my chin is a silver glimmer, a house key. Rusted beyond function, but not quite beyond recognition. 
It dangles on a red lanyard, hopelessly snarled in the nest of rebar jutting from the crumbling cement encircling the ladder. It's mine. Or rather, mine and Annie's. It looks, for all the world, like a hangman's noose. And that's when I realize that the murder that has defined my entire existence wasn't a murder at all. and come straight home. Don't be such a baby. I'd rather be a baby than have a big fat crush on Denson McDougal. <sighs> Can you just... <sighs> Please, be a big girl, okay? Walk home with the milk. I remember thinking Annie would understand when she got older, as she turned up County 19 alone. How often have I turned over this afternoon in my mind? Was I comparing the merits of blue raspberry and root beer at the gas and sip slushy machine when my sister was grabbed by a stranger? Was I willing myself to reach for Denson McDougal's hand at the same moment bigger, stronger hands closed around Annie's neck? Was I scampering through a rainstorm, mad with giggles, having totally forgotten her as she was disrobed, defiled, dumped. I have, at last, some semblance of an answer. I picked a root beer slushy because blue raspberry stains your teeth. Annie stripped down and waded bare-legged into the culvert because swamp water stains polka dot tights. Denson and I climb the hill behind Huntington Park as Annie climbs the ladder. I save the last gulp of the root beer slushy for the top. She saves a kitten. Then a second, then a third. As the drizzle becomes a downpour, I scamper towards Ernie's diner wearing Denson's jacket. I think in a sort of stupid, prepubescent way, that I am falling in love. At that same moment, Annie falls off the ladder. The lanyard necklace catches the rebar overhead and strangles her to death. There is no sweeping shift in the wind, no titanic clap of thunder. In a few hours, the record rainfall will temporarily swell the swampy ditch under County 19 into a raging river. It will lift Annie's body free and carry it downstream. Denson and I split a grilled cheese and beg Ma for a ride home in the rain. Pa sought the man who killed my sister because he thought an answer would bring exoneration. For him and for me. But if, in the case of Annabelle Abernathy, there is no murderer, I wonder, is no one to blame? Or are we all? Was it Pa and Oscar, whose aborted love affair killed Annie? Was it the kittens, the rain, the keys, and the culvert? 
Was it Denson McDougal's boyish charm? Was it me? Or was it a near impossible sequence of bad choices and blind luck? Is that just another way of saying it was Ronnie's all-powerful god that really killed Annabelle Abernathy? I don't know. But I think of how my father, arrested, then freed, never quite escaped the mark left by the original accusation. And I think that, for once, what's true in the court of justice is true in the court of conscience. Once you accuse yourself of causing the death of your daughter or your sister, you can never be innocent. Just guilty or not quite guilty. Here, water. Thanks. Are you okay? Yeah. Sorry for waking you up, Roberto. It's a hell of a theory. Only... Are you going to say it, Sheriff, or am I? I think I know what you mean, but go ahead. Well, if Annie's death was an accident, how do you explain Jesse Kaplan? I... I don't know. What if Jesse's murder was a copycat job by someone who had no idea the first murder wasn't one? That seems pretty elaborate. Have you got someone in mind? Donnelly has an alibi for Jesse. He was with Ed. Jenkins and Ronnie have no alibi, but no motive. Wayne had a possible motive, a gross one, but he was with Oscar at County General when Jesse was killed. So, no. No, not really. Here's where I get hung up. If I was going to execute a copycat murder, I'd need extremely specific knowledge of the first crime. Didn't Donnelly say he kept all the details under wraps? I... That sounds right. Myra? What? The details of Annie's death. When did that all go public? <clears throat> the Archie Duncan article. The morning of Annie's wake. Before or after Jesse was taken? After. So that narrows the field. We'd be talking about someone on the inside. Sheriff deputies, the town council. But that's the conspiracy stuff we've been avoiding all along. Can you drive a little faster? It's a four-way stop. You're a cop. Turn on the sirens or something. What's going on? Something doesn't feel right. Uh, don't throw up in the cruiser. We're almost there. Look, there's Denson. Maybe we're overthinking it. To be honest, Myra. if Annie's oh, death was um, an accident... Uh, hey, Berto, it's, it's Ma. Hang on a second. Hey, we're just pulling into the driveway. Hello? Ma? Ma? Oh, God. Myra? Ma, what's going on? He says to tell you. That if you don't drop the case, we're dead. Please! 
I was only gone for a second, I swear to God. Hopped out to take a leave. Denson, right now it just matters we find them. Check the yard. Okay, yeah. Myra, what do you see? Nothing. The place is empty. I find Liam standing at the end of a messy bed. It's deja vu. For a moment, he's Ed Abernathy, fresh out of prison. And I'm just a girl with a bucket of popcorn who left his daughter to die. He's holding an empty pair of Maisie's pajama pants. I think of polka dot tights stuffed into a storm drain crevice. An accident that led to a murder, that led to a hay baler. And now, to this. But what does it mean? Does anyone remember what Jessie was wearing when she was taken? I... No. I've got scans of the police files. Hang on. It says here, um, dark gray, size youth nine, uh, cotton sweatpants. It could all be nothing. Of course. I will it to be nothing. But I know, deep down, it isn't. The answer lacks the iconic imagery of polka dot tights. It's the sort of detail gossip rags can't make much of that goes unmentioned on the news. But I curse myself for missing it. Even so. Aside from the sheriff and the town council and my father, there was only one other person who knew the secret details of Annabelle's death. A person with obvious motive to shift the arc of the narrative unfolding in 97, perhaps enough to kill for it. She escaped police scrutiny because she had an ironclad alibi for Annie. But what the hell was Brenda Abernathy doing while I sat outside Mrs. Newsom's piano lesson waiting for a ride, while Pa considered signing away his innocence, while Jesse Kaplan disappeared? And why had Ma wanted to drive two towns over to see a movie that afternoon, only to pick something that was half over by the time we sat down? Why really? Had she stopped me from wearing a pair of dryer-found sweats to a bingo room meeting about Jesse's unknown killer? Is it possible that my mother, the rock of this family and this community, was only playing a role? Is she capable of strangling a child, of faking her own abduction, of pushing her husband into a hay baler for getting too close to the truth. If she is, how far would she go to stop me? I made it easy. I told her Denson was out there watching. Told who? Ma. The Jubilee child killer.
Tear apart the pieces of our home I've never wanted to know Why you could never let go Two Dead Girls in Jubilee was written, directed, and produced by Ethan Wellen. It stars Emily Goss as Myra, Zachary Cantrell as Liam and Denson, Susan Harmon as Brenda, Marcelo Tubert as Berto, John Ali as Oscar, Carrie Gutierrez as young Myra and Annabelle. Original score by Kevin Hutchins. Associate producer, Emily Goss. Associate producer, Zachary Cantrell. One Eye Open was written and recorded by Andrea Perez and Peyton Widener. I guess I've never wondered what you were searching for. Thanks to Kat, Ron, the Evans, Monisha, Jack, David, and Tyler, without whom there could be no Jubilee. If you enjoyed listening, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or tell a friend. For cast bios, episode transcripts, and more, find our little town on Instagram at Two Dead Girls Pod. That's at the number two Dead Girls Pod. Thanks. Two Dead Girls in Jubilee is a work of fiction. Any resemblance to real events or to persons living or dead is purely coincidental.